welcome to Eat, Sleep, Sing, Repeat podcast. This week I have a really interesting one for you. So I'll be talking to Sarah Grace about synesthesia. I came across Sarah on TikTok of all places um, and she was basically breaking down different popular songs off the radio and describing the colours that she sees when she hears these songs. Um, And I realised that there's a lot more to synesthesia than I first thought. So it isn't just seeing colours um, when you listen to music. There's a lot more to it. Um, so in the podcast, we, we chat about that. We chat about what synesthesia is, um, different artists that have synesthesia and that who use it in their songwriting and what it was like growing up with synesthesia. I really enjoyed chatting to Sarah about this topic. And I thought it would be a really interesting one to share with you guys. So I hope you enjoy it and I'll see you next time. For a while, I worked in the hospitals. I mainly worked with um, brain injury patients. Um, and that's just because I love communication. It was, it was really fun. But um, recently, I, I started doing my art a, li- a little more full time. So I put in my resignation for my speech pathology job right before the pandemic hit, actually, um, and then worked in some nonprofits. I do some directing of children's theaters. Uh, so I did some artistic staff work. Um, and then, yeah, I'd say right now my art is like 50 percent of my time. And then the rest of non- is nonprofit work. That's so interesting. And like, I am part of this organization called Vocology in Practice. I don't know if you ever heard of it. I've heard um, of it. But it's, yeah, there's a lot of like Americans and Canadians and people from all over the world. Whereabouts are you actually? I'm in, um, I'm in the US in Minnesota. So in Minnesota, uh, okay. basically in Canada, super, super north. Okay. <laughs> but um, yeah, so there's a lot of people from all over the world in the organization, but it's like, um, basically an organization for voice professionals. So it's like a lot of SLPs, um, you know, laryngologists and all that kind of thing. And like vocal coaches and singing teachers and all of that as well, coming mm. together to like learn about the voice and the mechanics of the voice, anatomy and voice science and all that stuff. So yeah, it's really oh, interesting. That's amazing. And you're a member of, a member of that? I'm not an official member yet, but I've been training with them for the last uh, six months and I'm just about to like sit like an assessment thing. So then I should get be able to get my little logo thing to say that I'm certified and all of that. So, yeah, but it's, it's just interesting that that's what your what your job was, because obviously I have you on to talk about synesthesia um, and kind of relating that into music and singing. But then the SL, SLT thing is also very t- tuned in with that as well. And do you think um, your your knowledge of the voice with SLT and the synesthesia link in in any way? Oh, that's interesting. Um, I don't know. Um, uh, I, I think that maybe my synesthesia, I love listening to people talk. I love voices because um, it's it's obviously like an auditory experience, but it's also a really sensory experience for me because um, there are often you know colors and textures as well. Um, so I think probably part of that is why I moved into a profession where it's, it's just listening to people talk all day <laughs> and helping them with their voice. Um, and a little bit of what I did uh, when I first started working was was vocal health. Um, so I worked with some singers and performers, um, and I think my synesthesia maybe helped a little bit with picking up um, like slight nuances in the voice, uh, little areas where maybe they were straining, um, and just had a little a little clearer uh, picture of that. Um, yeah, that's an interesting question, though. I don't know. Does that does that answer that question? Oh, yeah, it definitely yeah. does. And I know you probably if you hadn't thought about it before, but I was just <laughs> thinking because I suppose I was curious about uh, about how synesthesia 
like works with like your already known knowledge like say like like the stuff with your SLP so like and like if other people with synesthesia would see the same colors listen to the same voice and that kind of thing oh yeah oh that's interesting so from what I understand um so basically it was just this past year that I started meeting other people with synesthesia and that was through TikTok. Um, and even though I've had it my whole life, I've never really done a lot of research on the topic um, myself, but I've, I've done a bunch in the last year um, because of the platform and also just to answer some of my own questions. Um, and so I think I assumed that other people with synesthesia saw the same colors that I saw. So like there was a B flat, we would all see the same color. Um, but I guess according to research, that isn't the case. So uh, there's it's really variable depending on the synesthete. Um, there are general trends. So the majority of synesthetes with my type, when there are high notes, they see bright or like light colors in general. And then low notes are darker in color. And that's how it is for me. Um, but there's a bunch of variation. So um, that's one of the interesting things about it. It kind of reminds me a little bit of, um, I, I can't remember where, I, I've, I've heard this a couple of times over the years at different workshops and, and organisations about if you think of like, um, I don't know, like a bitter taste, usually people relate like a brighter colour with a bitter taste. Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Or like, I don't know, like I suppose um, maybe like a um like cold we relate with blue like do you know what I mean it's like there's certain things that like that like the general consensus will be the same so I wonder like is synesthesia kind of an extension of that kind of multi-sensory understanding of the world around us yeah I, I mean what I understand from from what I've read in the scientific papers it like it definitely is and can be um because so I was thinking about in the music world there are all of these descriptors to describe different sounds as a singer's voice can be bright sounding. Uh, there can be a dark quality. Um, people talk about rough vocal sounds, smooth vocal sounds. So it seems like throughout the language, uh, in multiple languages, there are descriptors that are very sensory related to different things like you were talking about, um, like taste. And so I suspect that part of that, um, so synesthesia is more common than people think. It's not taught about very often, but um, most research says two to 4% of the entire world has some form of synesthesia or another. Um, so yeah, I wonder if a lot of those descriptors maybe come from people who have synesthesia who don't know it. Um, and also all synesthesia is, is an integration of different sensory experiences. Um, so everybody has the capability to sort of link some sensory experiences to different degrees. Um, so yeah, I, I think that definitely could be from that for sure that yeah because I, I think I messaged when I messaged you first I had mentioned that like um after kind of discovering your page on TikTok I had I had a memory of when I was in like I think I was in first year of my secondary school so I was around 13 mm. um and I remember being in my music class and I, I don't remember the exact question but I think he was asking us to describe the music in some way and I actually described it to him in colour and I remember him being quite like fascinated by that and he I think he might have mentioned synesthesia I don't know if, if I made that bit up but he, um, I, I didn't know what synesthesia was at the time anyway and I wonder like did I have synesthesia or was that just I don't know just what I decided to use as a descriptor then and or is it because I didn't nurture it and it kind of disappeared so Can do you, you lose feel, it? 
It, it, that, I've heard of that happening. So do you still, do you ever have experiences where you hear sound and then there's like a color association or? Not really. It's not, and maybe sometimes, but like, not, it's not really like a, t- a regular thing. I wouldn't have kind of said I had synesthesia or anything, you know, anymore or anyway. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. I I wonder, I have spoken to some people with synesthesia who say they had it really early on in their childhood and then it faded as they got older. Um, and they have a bunch of theories about why that may have happened. But yeah, I wonder. It's possible for sure. Um, and when did you first realize that you were a synesthetic? Yeah. What's the <laughs> term? <laughs> maybe the term. I'm still learning the term. Yeah. Um, so it's biological in my case. It's in one side of my family. Um, and so I remember really early on in my childhood telling friends and telling my parents that I saw colors and textures with sound. Um, and I was I was a pretty imaginative child. I did a lot of theater and just was making up stories. So the reaction I got was usually like a chuckle, like I was joking or like, um, kind of like a, an eye roll, like I was being imaginative. Um, and then I just didn't talk about it much for the rest of my childhood. And I guess this is a common experience with a lot of synesthetes that they early in their childhood, because of the responses they see somehow in their little minds, they realize, okay, this is something that is maybe different. So I shouldn't, shouldn't talk about it. Um, so I didn't for most of my childhood. And then in graduate school and undergrad, I was a psychology minor. And then my primary research focus was, as I mentioned, brain injury research. Um, so I worked with a lot of neuroscientists and I felt comfortable mentioning to them, hey, I, I've had this experience my whole life. Um, it's really like automatic. It's always the same. If I'm listening to the same sound, is this like, what is this? Um, and that's where I got some confirmation that, oh, no, that presents that synesthesia if it's automatic and consistent. Um, and I remember specifically being in a psych psychology lecturable class with 300 students um, and they were teaching about synesthesia and I just remember my palms getting really sweaty and feeling really anxious because I realized oh there is a word to this thing that I have had my whole life Um, and I I never knew what it was called Um, so yeah that's sort of a a lot of synesthetes are adults before they get confirmation about what they have which is yeah yeah it makes sense though I guess because I mean if you if you have always kind of navigated your way through life you know and experience different senses in that way you would why you don't really talk about like senses with, with people as you're going it's not really you know it might come up but it doesn't really so I can completely understand how you would never realize that other people don't see things the same way as you do Totally. And I I think because it's so normal for a lot of people with synesthesia, it's just part of their life experience. They might have a suspicion that maybe everybody experiences things the same way that they do. So I know for me, even though I didn't talk about it much as a kid, I still sort of felt like, well, most people must see something with sounds. Um, And so even recently with our TikTok page, I've done some painting and shown my husband some of my paintings. Um, And there was one recently where I I painted a Bossa Nova piece and I showed it to him and I said, this, this is, must be a really boring painting because obviously this is what this looks like. Like everybody will think that this is what this looks like. Um, So it's not very interesting. And he was like, no, I don't, I don't see that when I hear music. So there's still, I'm still having moments like that where I'm realizing that. Um, But yeah. (laughs) Okay. So you mentioned about your painting. So you, just for people who are listening, you actually paint what you see when you listen to music. 
and you paint the songs essentially yeah so when did you first have that idea and yeah how's it going um so I've actually been doing that since I was a kid um I had a nice little art set up in my room and I would go lock myself in my room and put on my Walkman and uh which like dates how old I am and then paint what I saw um and I've been doing that throughout my life just sort of like therapeutically for myself because like you, you might understand as a creative person it's when you have an idea or, or just something creative inside of you it just feels really nice to get it out on paper sometimes or to express yourself that way um so that's what I've done for a while and then slowly sort of by word of mouth people found out about what I was doing and said they were interested um and then there's been some increasing demand so now I i have a bit of a business and and a website and um, I set things up that way um, and ship soon I'll be shipping all over the world um so yeah it's just it's just been a natural thing for me that has helped amazing (laughs) it's such a good idea I I was mentioning it to a friend of mine and she was like oh my god such a nice idea for a present for someone like you know if there was a song that they liked you could get the song painted and give it to them as a present I was like oh my god yeah it is it's so there's like it just adds another layer of meaning to a gift right yeah well and it's really I feel really like honored because sometimes another thing that people have been doing recently is they'll share audio clips of maybe a voicemail that uh was from a loved one who is no longer with us um and that is uh, you know a very heavy thing to be entrusted with um and they'll ask me to paint their voice um and so yeah so that's a thing that that's another aspect of what I'm doing right now too um less of that it's usually music that I paint but sometimes voices yeah that's beautiful like it's such a lovely idea but um I suppose it's like yeah I was speaking to an artist actually from my local town um who was saying that she was getting some commissions as well for like pets that have died I don't know if she said it if there was humans too but definitely pets that have passed away and she was like painting just it was like sketches and paintings and stuff um so you're like doing that but with your paintings for synesthesia yeah yeah exactly so does she does she have synesthesia or she was painting like images no 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 she not that I know of anyway she just I think she like did art when she was really young and she like dropped out of college she didn't like the whole college thing and she's just getting back in it now with with lockdown and everything you know like a lot of people are kind of going back to their their old ways and their roots which I think is is really nice yeah, that's been an interesting benefit of the pandemic, it seems. It's lots of tragedy, but it seems like a lot of people also have had time to sort of reflect on what they want in their life and spend time with themselves. And yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned as well that you actually uh, perform and do a bit of singing yourself. Yeah, I, I haven't for a bit, but um, growing up, I, I did a lot of performing in the, I live in the Twin Cities, so the Minneapolis area. Um, and it's, it has a lot of theaters. I think it's in the U S it's like the second per capita has the most theaters anywhere besides New York city, um, which you wouldn't think when you think of Minnesota, but, um, so yeah, I did a lot of performing growing up. I did a lot of, um, vocal performance as well. Um, I started out in college for vocal performance and theater performance, and then I changed majors to speech pathology. Um, partially because I just, I heard the rumors that you can't make money as an artist. And so I got really afraid and yeah. Um, but in hindsight, I wish I had kept with it because it's, I think there's plenty of ways to make money as an artist and make a living. Yeah. But I mean, you could always, you can always go back to it. It's it's one of those things that, you know, you can, I think there's a lot of people actually who have gone into like 
the medical side of things and who are also have some kind of performing background. And there's actually a woman called Lynn Hilton. Do you know Lynn Hilton? I don't know. She, um, I think she was a nurse. And then she went into learning about like the voice and now she coaches and she uses like her medical background to help her in her coaching. And I think it's really interesting. Those two worlds seem to to collide quite a bit or kind of work together quite a bit. And when you were when you were singing or when you were singing, did you did 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 seeing the songs in colour help you learn the songs or how did it kind of affect the way you 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 um, kind of navigated that? Yeah. Um, so I, I was in choirs and then I would do, um, like small show choirs all the way growing up into my early adulthood. Um, and I think the big thing for me is that, so when I, when I listen to music, I've learned a lot of strategies to not be overwhelmed by the visuals and the sensory experience. Um, but when I'm singing and I'm in a group of other people singing, I don't really have to worry about that so much. And I can just sort of like, you know, let myself be fully immersed in the sound and the visuals. Um, so I think it, I never thought about that question, but maybe it, it did kind of help me just having that extra sensory piece probably did help me with memorization of, of the music. Um, and then for my acting, it was, it was very helpful because it's not hard for me to get emotional <laughs> when I hear music. Um, and so I could sort of use that to my advantage in performance, but yeah. yeah. It's interesting because I was just thinking like I'm I'm very much like a visual person myself and if I'm learning lyrics off I'll always like write them out um in like different colored pens like I'll have you know like if a like the verses melodies are the same I'll have the verses blue and then I might have the the chorus pink and you know so it's just like more visual for me in my mind or I might highlight them or whatever so I think in you know the synesthesia that you have kind of mar- like marks that for you in your mind almost that's an interesting way to think about it. Yeah, yeah, that that could be. And I, it's so interesting that so when you're writing out, um, have you always done that where you write out in different colors? Yeah, yeah, I have. Yeah. And I think a few years ago, I did a course, it was like teaching music to dyslexics, and it went through a lot of multisensory stuff. And it kind of made me realize again, that like, learning with color, like I use a lot of colorful flashcards and, and uh, highlighters and things like that really helps me memorize the what I'm learning yeah oh that that's so great we have so much to talk about I worked with <laughs> kids with dyslexia as well so that's so oh, no way yeah okay yeah but that's such a great point because like the human mind we it's been proven scientifically that we learn so much better when multi, when there's multi-sensory experiences happening and so um for you to do that with the kids you were working with I'm sure you like benefited them in a major way um and then also it seems like you, you've just had an inherent knowledge yourself of how to help yourself learn by incorporating different colors and um, in your in your music. So yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, it's really interesting. I just think that you know, like all everyone's mind is different. Everyone works differently. So the money, the 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 more tools you have to help them, kind of um, understand what you're trying to teach them, the better. So yeah, for sure, I agree. <laughs> and you you mentioned as well about. Um, how like knowledge of synesthesia could be useful in in educational settings do you want to talk a little bit about that sure yeah so um when when I was growing up and it's maybe a little different now um but so I a lot of synesthetes with my type of synesthesia have a really intense auditory sensitivity um it's just kind of hard to focus if there's sound going on because you have 
the auditory stimulation and the colors. Um, so when I was going through school, I, I had a lot of difficulty focusing at very specific moments of the school day. Um, it was when music was playing, uh, if the teacher played music during work time, um, or if there were kids chattering. And so my teachers weren't aware of synesthesia. Uh, they hadn't heard of that before. So I got tested for everything under the sun. I, I was tested for autism, um, uh, ADHD, a few different things I know, um, and they all came back negative. Um, and so my teachers didn't know what to do with me. And so my parents had to fight really hard since I didn't have a diagnosis because I wasn't being tested for the right thing to get me accommodations in school. Um, and so the thing I ended up being able to do is to leave the classroom if there was a test. Um, and that really helped me. But, you know, it took a few years to, to figure that out. Um, and a lot of kids, I, I speak to a lot of people who are adults now who talk about their experiences in the schools growing up with, as synesthetes. And I was never bullied, but a lot of kids have been bullied because they talk about their synesthesia, not realizing that it's a little more on the rare side. Um, and then kids make fun of them um, or they have horrible learning experiences when really it would just take a couple tweaks um, in the in how their teachers work with them um, and like some some extra things that they could do to help them. So I, I think it would be incredible if just very briefly in schools, um, first of all, for teachers to be aware of synesthesia and sort of how it might affect kids that are trying to learn. Um, but secondly, to teach kids in the classroom to maybe have a short minute talking about synesthesia. So the next generation of kids goes up as an adult and knows what it is. Um, and, you know, so they're not, uh, so there's less opportunities for bullying because they'll they'll know they'll know what it is. That's so interesting that like cause, so you said you were tested for autism and ADHD. So obviously there was it was it, was it disrupting you a certain to a certain extent in school? Yeah, yes, it was very specific. So it was um, like I mentioned that our teachers I don't know if your teachers were like this, but during work time they would play music um, and we'd have to get a math worksheet done or something and the whole time, especially in primary school, I would just be absorbed in the sound and the colors that I saw, and I would lose track of time and not a single thing would get done on that worksheet. Um, and same was true for if we were doing like group project stuff, it would be really hard for me to focus with the sounds of kids chattering. But if there was no sound, I would test very well, I would learn very well. And so there was a sort of inconsistent pattern that the teachers couldn't figure out. Um, and yeah, lo and behold, <laughs> synesthesia all along um yeah oh my god wow and so what what age were you when you found out that that's what it was that was causing those uh, challenges for you I well I was I was diagnosed with auditory sensitivity that was the furthest thing they were able to figure out when I was a kid um and so really not, not in my childhood at all did I have probably proper like accommodations for synesthesia I was 22 before I had the answer for what it was. Um, so that's a long period of time to, to not know. Um, and I think what ended up happening is I just came up with strategies myself as I got older to deal with the auditory hypersensitivity that I had. Um, but it would have been great if earlier on an, an adult could have taught me some tools. Um, yeah. Understood. Yeah. That's, yeah, I get that. Because I, I feel like... Um the more we can understand ourselves and other people, 
the easier we can adapt situations for ourselves and then the less we can give ourselves a hard time about you know struggling with something or maybe not being able to to engage with it in the same way as everyone else is engaging with um how would you t- how would you how would you suggest it be taught in schools or how would you suggest that like singing teachers would use it in a in a in a coaching situations even yeah that is such an interesting question um so Okay, the first question with teachers. So I I always preface by saying I don't speak for all synesthetes. There's so much variation. So what might help me maybe wouldn't help someone else. Um, but I do think that so there are various forms of neurodiversity. There's there's different types of learning um, challenges and also strengths. And so early on, primary school teachers have a, a real privileged opportunity to be able to help other kids be more tolerant of, of kids with maybe neurological differences. Um, just by teaching that it's like, it's normal. There's there's a lot of people in the world with neurological uh, differences. Um, even if you don't have synesthesia, you might have, there's probably a lot of kids who have some attention difficulties or some other type of thing. Um, so just teaching about synesthesia as being, it's just a normal part of the world, I think would be really helpful um, for, for kids. Um, and, it would not only help the synesthete in the classroom or synesthetes, plural, feel safer and not so weird and just kind of feel validated, but it would also help the other students um, learn how to be more compassionate human beings. Um, yeah, so that would be great. <laughs> yeah, I can. I'm just imagining like how would I how would I try to introduce it? I guess I don't know. Maybe some situation where I don't know. You'd ask um, everyone to write down like how how would they describe this particular thing whatever it is whether it's a song or a story or whatever and and then then like highlight how diverse and how interesting it is that everyone can have such different views on it maybe something like that you know like little exercise like that that will kind of make, normalize it that is a great idea that's a really really smart yeah you should go <laughs> tell all the teachers about that oh, yeah. <laughs> really good idea <laughs> Yeah, that's perfect. That's it. And honestly, like just a simple illustration like that, I, I can remember in my childhood having really short lessons where I was learning about, um, you know, we had a lessons learning about how people have different skin tones and that's just part of the world and it's normal. And they were very quick little lessons, but they, they were impactful and they affected, you know, affected the kids growing up in a positive way. Um, so yeah, um, I, I've heard there's a book called A Mango Shaped Space. I've never read it, but on TikTok, it, it, I guess it's a book about a girl who has synesthesia and she's in eighth, eighth grade. Um, and so a, a lot of kind of the Gen Z generation on our TikTok page will comment and say that they, they actually are being taught that book in school. So, yeah, so, which is really exciting. Um, I don't know how widespread that is, but yeah, there's lots of ways to teach it. So, yeah, I feel uh, TikTok's actually great for, you know, um, get you know getting information firsthand from people who who are neurodiverse I think that's that's really interesting to like kind of learn about how how different people navigate through the world you know because I don't because we only we only know what we kind of read in textbooks and in articles online it's not the same as hearing firsthand from from people who are having these experiences themselves yes yeah and so another thing that I found really interesting on your page was that you um, analyze different pop songs and different artists and their voices and the songs. Um, so do you want to maybe talk a little bit about some of the artists like that you have analyzed and kind of 
you know, are their voices the same in every song or does it change from song to song? How does that work? Oh yeah, that's, that's really interesting. So, um, for, yeah, so I've analyzed a few different artists. Um, there's some artists with synesthesia. So Billie Eilish is, is one she's talked really openly about her synesthesia. Um, so I've done some analyses of, of her voice and her singing. Um, and so the way it is for me with voices, there's often like one or two base colors that I see most frequently with the voice. Um, but then it obviously changes a little bit as the pitches change and the, uh, the resonance of the voice changes. In music, um, because there's so many different pitches and so many different changes to, to resonance and, and timbre and quality, um, there's usually a very diverse set of colors, patterns, and textures that I see that aren't consistent across songs, um, with rare exceptions. So uh, the band Fleetwood Mac, um, the Stevie Nicks, for whatever reason, her voice across multiple songs, there's a visual that occurs that looks like it, um, either like a DNA strand or like a pink ladder. It's like pink and it has little yellow lines like where the rungs are. And that's, it's interesting because it's a reoccurring thing that I see in her music, um, which isn't common. Uh, but yeah, usually it totally changes based on on the song. And like, I don't know if you can can do this, but like from a non-synesthete um, view, would the, would like, would you say the Fleetwood Mac songs are like, sound similar uh, texturally from song to song? Yeah, so that that's a really good question because I think that is kind of what, what it is. Um, with Stevie Nicks, her voice has a really unique quality, as you know, that the tone is really interesting. Um, and so I think that whenever there are like sort of um, repeating patterns of visuals or textures in, in music for one singer's voice, they often have kind of a unique texture. So I would say, yeah, Stevie Nicks, maybe that pink ladder keeps showing up because she has such a unique like uh, quality of voice um, and it's representing that rather than her pitches. Um, yeah. Wow, it's so interesting. I, I, I'd love to like, I, I don't know what all the, the keys, the songs are and stuff, but I wonder like, is it because the songs are in similar keys or is it similar pitches she's singing? Do you know? I'm very curious to look into that more like and see kind of why that might be. I'm curious too. People like you, you guys have such great questions, the people I talk to, and I've never thought about my synesthesia from like that analytical point where I've like tested myself um, to see what the answers are to these questions. But maybe I should because it's like an interesting case study of of uh, how of patterns in my synesthesia. Yeah. And so Billie Eilish, you mentioned Billie Eilish. Um, what would her song "Bad Guy"? What what colors do you see in her song? Oh yeah, so they music usually. So for me, it's like um, it's a moving picture. So it's really dynamic when I hear music. So from one moment to the next, depending on the instrumentation and the chords and the combination of everything together, it, it will look totally different. Um, so "Bad Guy." Her music often has a lot of texture to me. That song has moments um, with the instrumentation. She has a sort of drag sound in the instrumentation and that feels, that's really textured to me. It's like a rough carpet. Um, but then that song has a, a bunch of different colors. Um, and so part of how my synesthesia works is I, I have to like be hearing the, the song actively to see the visuals. Um, because it's an automatic, like, sensory thing. So off the top of my head, I don't remember the colors. But if you played it for me right now, I could I could tell you. Uh, but yeah, 
I can say that it's a very textured song and most of her music is for me. Um, yeah. Yes. I I think I'm I'm getting like, I don't know, I know this might not be the same thing, but the nearest thing I can compare to is like, you know, when your your laptop goes to sleep and that screensaver with all the colors moves around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's kind of the nearest thing I could I kind of picture that when I when I imagine what synesthesia might be like, like it changes like a like a lava lamp or something, like it kind of changes color except for you see kind of shapes and textures as well which makes it even more interesting yeah yeah sometimes it is just like that it's just like a really gentle fade of different images but sometimes it's it's um like a little more harsh so um there are some songs especially like rock songs where the visuals there's very like bold visuals that sort of pop out out of nowhere um rock music is kind of hard for me to listen to for that reason because it's very distracting visually um but gentler music tends to have like like that fading in and out quality that you're just describing so yeah it doesn't kind of just jump up on you yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's so cool um oh yeah that's what I was going to say when I did the dyslexia training uh the music and dyslexia training they actually had a segment of it where um they were teaching you about textures and they had like all the like a like all these little different like like uh what's called samples of fabric and they were kind of um getting us to sing things and like then showing us like a silky fabric and then like asking us to change our voice based on what what the silky fabric inspired or like a rough carpet and different things and I find that I think that's so interesting it kind of a lot of what you're saying kind of overlaps with those things is that for in you're seeing it in your head as opposed to like using prompts or props Right. Yeah. It's like an automatic thing that, that happens that, yeah, I have no control over it. But, but I I suppose I'm curious to see like how it could be used. Say if I was like in a coaching situation and say a student was like a little bit flat on the note or something, like, could I say, um, if I said, make it a little bit more yellow, would that make them brighten it up a little bit more? Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I, I thought about that question and I think it's just like what we were talking about before, the more sensory components that you can integrate, the better people learn. Um, so I would imagine that actually might be a, a really helpful um, way to, to teach a student. Um, the other thing that is interesting is that according to research, according to the American Psychological Association, there is a very high percentage of artists who have synesthesia compared to the general population. So um, in general, it's like two to 4% of the world has some form of synesthesia, but in the artistic community, it's numbers are, the estimate is 25%. So that's a lot um, of people for some reason. So it may be that some of your students, just with that high number, they could have a form of synesthesia. Um, And so one way that I was thinking about that when I was going through voice lessons, that would have been helpful is if, if my teacher had asked me if I did have any color experiences with like higher notes, do you, do you understand that a higher note would sort of like seem a little brighter in color and, and a lower note would be darker in color? That would have been a language that would have been very helpful for me to get feedback, just like what you were talking about. Um, and it's interesting to like hear you speak too, because it sounds like you have had some synesthesia experiences yourself. So uh, yeah, I wonder... Partially because, yeah, I, th- I think that'd be a great idea. I actually, um, w- last week, um, after after I first messaged you, I was chatting to one of my younger students. She's been coming to me for about two years now. And um, I 
was asking her about how she sees music. As I do like see color when you when you see music or how, kind of. And first she said no, but then she was like, "Well, actually, I don't know if this is synesthesia or if, it was, if it's just her way of painting it." But she was like, "Well, actually, yeah. If a, if a song sounds kind of sad, then I would say it's blue, and if it's red, then it's angry. And then she had like, if it's yellow, it's happy. Do you know? It was quite like basic colors. But I was like, I wonder if that's like synesthesia or is that just more of a descriptor thing? I don't know. I was like, it's still, it's really cool to like. It was cool to hear that from her." Yeah, no, that is so interesting. That was like such a great question to ask her. It's there are some theories that everybody has synesthesia um, that because it's just a connection in the brain from one sensory area to another. Um, but that people, some people, those pathways are just being used more. Um, so, like, uh, this is sort of a, a little bit of a diversion, but it's related to what you were saying. So there, there have been studies done where on certain substances. Um, people have synesthesia experiences where they see colors, um, some illicit substances that I'm not recommending you you try. Um, but scientists have put those people into an MRI scanner or into a brain scanner um, and also put synesthetes, biological synesthetes into a brain scanner. And they found that their neural pathways looked the same. And so part of the theory is that maybe everybody does have those connections um, and you can sort of tap into that a little bit, even if you don't consider yourself a synesthete, um, but it's just not a very commonly used neural pathway. So yeah, that, that's very interesting. Um, yeah, I find that so fascinating. Like I really do because like the brain is such a magnificent instrument and we don't know everything about it. And it's like, yeah, I definitely believe that, that the brain is, is capable of so much that we just don't know how to tap into maybe we just we have never exercised it enough in that in that way and I wonder if um people who have synesthesia like I wonder if there's if there were certain like um occasions or events or, or or kind of memorable moments as as a child that kind of helped them develop that skill I would call it a skill I wonder I yeah I'm not I'm not sure there's, um, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Cause I know for myself, I, my parents, anything creative, um, I came from a very musical family. There's a lot of musicians in my family. And so I was just immersed in that really, really early, um, and sort of had the opportunity to get lost in, in music and in art. Um, so that's a really interesting question because yeah, I wonder if I formed connections a little differently because of my experiences. Yeah. Yeah. And um, just made me think of another question there I wanted to ask you, but you know, when you hear a choir singing, mm -hmm. what's that like? Is it hard to kind of, does it depend on what they're singing? Does it like, how, how does that work for you? It, yeah, it totally depends on, on who's singing and what they're singing and the, the, um, yeah, the notes that are being used and the quality of the singer's voices. Um, so, Would it be similar to like a, a band, like in a sense that like the voices are just the different instruments and the different colors and textures as opposed to drums and guitar and keyboards and all that? It, yes, okay, exactly. Okay. Yep. Um, I will. When you asked that question, though, I did think of one example because recently I was listening to a choral piece. It was a lot of women um, and they had a lot of vibrato, um, kind of more mature voices, a lot of alto singing. It was really kind of deeper, deeper registers. And that, to me, that that song, I can't even remember what it was, but it had a lot of round textures to me. So like I had a lot of visuals of like tunnels and circles um, and 
yeah. Um, and I think somewhere in music, maybe you can correct me on this. Is there, is there a term that has to do with like a round qual, like vocal quality, or is that not, that could just be me misremembering. There probably is. Um, I can't, I can't think off the top of my head, but it's probably, I would say maybe like in, like in classical singing, there's more of a, a darker, rounder quality to classical voices, not so much in pop, like slightly darker sound to it. Yeah. Okay. Sound. I don't know if that's, no, that totally answers what you're thinking. Or... <laughs> no, it does. Because one thing I was thinking about, I was so excited to come on your podcast. And I was just thinking for the first time about, man, in, in music, in the music world, there are so many terms that are like sensory terms. Sort of like we were talking about earlier, like a bright voice, a, a round note, a dark note. Um, yeah. And I just wonder, like, did some people, is it because of the high percentage of artists who have synesthesia that those are so much in the vocabulary of, of musicians or um, what, what is that? Is that just because we all, I don't know. It's, it's interesting to think about. <laughs> it is interesting. And it seems like it's a really hard thing to kind of define in one specific way. Cause it's, uh, everyone has like experiences. It's slightly different. Yeah. And I know you're on your TikTok page, you work with a, another guy who has synesthesia, but it's a slightly different type of synesthesia to you, isn't it? Yeah, you maybe tell husband. Explain. Oh, it's your husband. I wasn't <laughs> sure, so I didn't want to assume. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so, and that's a weird thing. He, we did not know that the other person had synesthesia until after we were married um, because we didn't talk about our synesthesia um, just based on like experiences. We'd had slightly negative ones where we'd talked about it and people were like, huh, and just kind of didn't understand what we're talking about. Um, so yeah, he has, my husband, Jack, has lexical gustatory synesthesia which means that he has when he hears words he has a taste so it's not an association where he like thinks oh the name Deborah tastes like would taste like cherry cola reminds me of cherry cola he actually tastes it in his mouth um and so that his form of synesthesia is among the more rare uh my my type is not very rare in the synesthesia world um but people will ask us all the time like how how in the world did two people with synesthesia like meet each other and get married? That seems like that would be really unlikely. But yeah, when when you know that two to four percent of the whole world has it, it isn't so unlikely. But yeah, wow, we, we both have so it. Interesting. He has a different type, though. Yeah, and and what other are there other types as well? So there's the type where you see colors and textures, and then there's the type where you where you actually taste, which I didn't realize that's what it was. Yeah, and is there another type? Is there any more? Oh yeah. yeah. So the researchers have identified 60 different types, um, but there are like 10 main ones. <laughs> I won't ask you to go through them all. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, one other one that I just think is super interesting. I don't have this, um, but there's a type called ordinal linguistic personification um, or OLP. And that is when people see or think about units of measurement or units of language. So like a number, a letter, um, uh, a measurement like, um, yeah, an, uh, inches or um, a, a month, they have an automatic association of a personality with that number unit of measurement. Um, so like they, an example is they would say, yeah, the number five is really bossy. And it's just, and that one to me, it's, I don't, I, it's hard for me to picture what that would feel like. Um, it's so unique and interesting, but that's another type. Um, wow. It's kind of making me understand synesthesia more though. N like even hearing those few descriptors, like, uh, like it's kind of goes back to the brain and like how, 
how each individual kind of understands the world around them. And like, it just shows you how complex and amazing the brain is really is, doesn't it? It's amazing. Yeah. When I was doing neuroscience research, I I thought I would come away from that thinking that I knew so much about the brain, but I, I just realized how little I knew the, the more I dove into it um, because it's, yeah, there's just so many complexities with the brain. We're barely scratching the surface in our understanding of what the brain can do. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So cool. And like, even, even with like all the voice, the voice science stuff and the anatomy and all that, like even the science changes all the time, you know, they're always finding new information that kind of can inform your your coaching skills like so you know it's just going to keep evolving the more we more we learn about all these things so yeah that's cool (laughs) and so let's go through out of interest a couple of like famous singers that you know have synesthesia so I I saw online that Lord has synesthesia yeah I think and she said that she actually like designed her album one of her albums in the colors that she sees for the, the, the songs overall and that album, which is really cool. And there's Billie Eilish. Mm-hmm. And yeah. who else? Yeah. So I made a list because there are so many and I was like, Oh, I have to remember um, of, of artists who have talked about their synesthesia. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause there are a lot. Uh, so yeah, Billie Eilish also, she's talked about how when she writes music, um, she in her mind, when she first thinks of the piece, she sees colors and textures uh, that she wants the music to look like, and she'll keep rewriting it and rewriting it. I think in one interview, she was like, she wanted the chorus to be a certain shade of yellow, and she just couldn't get it to be that color when she was trying to write it. Um, and so she wouldn't give up until she got it to be that color. Um, so let's see, who else? Wow. Yeah. I saw her describe um, in in a video, um, she was she pointed at a light the a light in a room. I don't know if you've seen this video and she said she was she was like, you know, like if I saw, saw see this light, let's see if we could like write a song that sounds like the colour of this light. Oh, you know? And I, I was like, that's so cool. <laughs> I hadn't seen that interview. That's really interesting. Yeah, it was just like a little short clip that I saw online. Yeah. And Olivia Rodrigo is a an, another recent one. Is she one that had is she on your list? She um, I, I didn't have her on my list, but I wouldn't be surprised if she does. Um, I bet actually, you know what? That's ringing the bell. I think she has talked about that. She does. Um, Billy Joel is another one. Uh, okay. Pharrell Williams, Kanye West has multiple types. <laughs> I'm not surprised. No, I'm not neither. surprised. <laughs> he has like, he, he talks about multiple types. Um, uh, Stevie Wonder, Mary J. Blige, John Mayer. Um, Frank Ocean, Charlie XCX, Tori Amos, Duke Ellington, um, Alessia Cara, so so many. Um, wow, it's yeah. so interesting. Yeah, it's crazy. And they've all talked about synesthesia too. So these are all people who have like opened up and shared that they that they have it. Um, and uh, another one, um, this is a speculation, this isn't a certainty, but Pablo Picasso, when you're talking about visual artists, there are records of him, he took piano growing up, um, and he would tell his teacher that different notes had different colors for him, and so he was kicked out of piano classes because uh, the teacher thought he was wisecracking, and, and <laughs> making <laughs> they didn't know it was synesthesia or what it was, um, yeah. so, you know, thankfully for the rest of the world, then he went into visual art, and that was a lovely gift to the world, but yeah, a um, lot of artists who have had synesthesia. It's interesting. 
it's just given me so many like ideas about like like the different things that we can be inspired by whether it's like creating a, a painting or writing a song or how we want our voice to sound when we sing like it's just so fascinating it's like I'm just looking at my curtain and I'm like if I was to try and sing the way my curtain the texture looks on my curtain and actually I'm I actually am really obsessed with textures oh, I, yeah. I I'm really like I'm real a real texture person like if I if I see something that looks like an interesting texture I'll, I'll want to touch it yeah like one weird thing I did was I was at a gig and there was a, like I was right up the right up the front and the guy I was singing had like these crocodile skin shoes on and I was like can I touch your shoes <laughs> and he was like okay and I, I just like touched his shoe and I was like I just, I just like I, I feel so intrigued to like touch it and feel feel what it feels like or if you know if some wallpapers have a texture I'm like I always want to touch it and see what it feels like. I I love that. That's so funny. I feel like <laughs> I feel like artists they just they're so in tune with the sensory experiences of the world that it's not surprising at all to me that you know you just have a have a thing where you love textures. Like um, I feel like a lot of artists they're they're the part of their brain that deals with sensory experience is just so active um, and just seeking sensory stimulation all the time. Um, and ways of perception receiving the world so that's so cool. so we talked about so the pros of it and we talked a little bit about the cons of it so the pros are obviously you, you can create these wonderful art pictures and artwork and the cons of it I suppose were when you were in school it kind of was overwhelming and you didn't understand what was going on to an extent so yeah um I feel like th- there's probably more pros to cons so what do you think I don't know. It's that's a hard question. Um, mm, okay. I can't imagine not having it because I've always had it. Um, I I wouldn't give it up because um, it's part of my personality. It's part of who I am. But there there are definitely things where I still struggle today. So I'm a really extroverted person naturally, but because of my sensory sensitivity, it's hard for me to be in crowds for very long. I just sort of like lose the ability to think clearly, speak clearly, because the visuals are so stimulating. Um, and so sometimes I'll be at a party and I want to stay at the party, but I have to go because my brain won't won't let me be there any longer. Um, and then I love movies. I love cinema. Um, but oftentimes the audio tracks, the, the beautiful cinematic audio tracks that are in movies are really visually distracting for me from like the plot and the characters talking. Um, so to watch a movie and really be able to watch it well, I have to have subtitles. Um, and so that's fine at home, but then in movie theater, there often aren't subtitles. And so I might lose some of the plot, because uh, of the music. Um, yeah. so yeah, so yeah. pros and cons for sure. <laughs> wow. And finally, what, well, what, what color is my voice? Oh yeah. What color okay. do you think my voice is? Your voice has a few different colors. So, um, the bass tone, you have a really lovely, um, like, a, a, a bright pink, there's different shades of pink. And the one I'm thinking of, it's like a, it's a rose. It's like a vibrant, so it's not a pastel pink, but it's a really vibrant pink. Um, and that's sort of a base color that I see. But then in your lower registers, it dips down into into a violet, like sort of a bright, uh, a brightish purple violet, almost like a periwinkle. Um, okay. And then your voice also has a texture to me. So it's a really soft voice <laughs> in the sense where it almost feels like um, like a like a feather of like a really soft bird or 
yeah, like just something where there's there's some some strands, but it's really smooth and soft. So yeah. Wow, that's so interesting. <laughs> I was dying to ask you that. Yeah. <laughs> I think everyone is like, tell me mine, tell me mine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I love not all voices have a texture to me. So when one okay. one does those are usually the voices that are the most like pleasing for me to listen to. And right away, when you started speaking, I thought, oh, yay, her voice has such a nice <laughs> This is going to be so pleasant to talk. I imagine my, imagine like my voice was just really distracting and like we had to do this <laughs> and you were just like, mm, we can't do this. <laughs> that happens. Sometimes when people have glottal fry, which when you go into this, like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so working yeah. with my patients, that was hard sometimes because a lot of them would have glottal fry yeah. um, and it would be a little harder to focus when I was talking to them, but yeah, all voices are beautiful. I think, I think voices are lovely. So and what's, what color is your voice? My texture? voice. Yeah. When I, this is odd. When I speak as I'm speaking, I don't see anything. Um, and so I was talking to a linguist about why that might be, he has some theories, um, but when I hear my voice in an audio recording, so played back on TikTok, um, it has a strong base color of it of yellow, like a pastel yellow. So okay. yeah, as I'm talking, I don't see anything. <laughs> I wonder, I'm just I'm just brainstorming here, but yeah. I wonder if that's because you're feeling it. Oh but yeah. when you listen to other that's so that it's so your brain is like connecting your voice with you feeling it yeah. as opposed to when you listen to people. You, you're not feeling their voice. I wonder if it's something like that. I, I think that's a really good idea or a really good guess though. I bet that's, <laughs> I bet that's part of it. <laughs> I'm just so fascinated with the brain in general. Oh, me but too. Anyway. <laughs> I feel like we're friends already. I could talk to you for a long time about the brain and art. Yeah. Um, it's amazing. Well, I've really, like, I've only been on TikTok a couple of months and like, you're, I only follow like a handful of pages and you're one of them. And I've really oh, enjoyed, you. I've really enjoyed, um, you know, what you're putting up and it's really interesting to look at the paintings of like songs that I know and see kind of what, what way you're seeing them. And yeah, I've really enjoyed it. So keep it up. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. You're doing great. How many followers do you have now on TikTok? Um, I think it's like 400,000 which is a surprise. I, I don't, neither Jack or I thought people would be this interested, but we're happy to share about it. So yeah. And when did you start TikToking? I think it was in um, February, like the end okay, of February. So, yeah. You haven't even been doing it that long, but you've no. got like <laughs> quite a bit of a following. And have you found just out of curiosity, have you found that, um, that TikTok has helped you reach like more of a of an audience for your artwork and your business, that side of thing? Does it kind of, does it link in well with that? For sure. Um, I think the one thing that I, I love collaborating with people. So the one thing I think is the coolest is that uh, I, some musicians have found my art uh, through TikTok exposure. And so have asked about painting some of their music to use as like album artwork or um, to make a music video out of kind of what I see for their song. And that's, that's like a dream. If I could do one thing in the world on like a bucket list, it, it's to collaborate with musicians and show them what their music looks like to me. Um, that's wow. like my favorite thing to do. So, Well, I might give you a shout when I'm looking to design my next album. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'd be happy to do it. <laughs> It'd be so fun.